got Denver Sports Tonight. Taking a look at the biggest stories in Denver sports. From your online home for the best opinions and information on the Broncos, Nuggets, Avalanche, Rockies, and more. DenverSports.com. And it is Denver Sports Tonight on this Wednesday night in the Mile High City. He's Andrew Mason. I'm Will Peterson. We'll roll with you for the next hour. Big day in Broncos country because Mace, we learned something new, something that took until March 22nd to get to our radar, sort of the secrecy around the Broncos, secrecy around Russell Wilson, but these kind of things always come out. And that's that Russell Wilson had a knee scope um, after the 2022 season. So some point in the last two months, I assume it was fairly quickly after they wrapped up against the Chargers, what did you make of this news when you first saw it? What else have you learned about it today? What's the latest you can fill us in on how big a deal this is for the Broncos and, and what fans need to know? Well, first of all, he's played with a knee issue for some time, so this is not something that is a debilitating injury. So yeah. knowing that, the question I asked myself this morning as I was thinking about this is, why have the surgery if it's something that's uh, not necessary? Now, I mean, it can be just it can be as, as simple as like loose bodies in the knee. You take him out, and and you and by all accounts, he was back on his feet. You know, not long after that, and he was good to go. My interpretation of it is this: that he's going into an off season that pretty well is going to t- determine where his career goes from here, right? and has a big part in determining what his legacy is going to be. Mm. A legacy season coming up. Yeah. Like, and, I, and I agree with you, yeah. but that's a that's a strong word, but I think yeah. based on how bad he was last year, and we, we thought surefire first ballot Hall of Famer, he's got to have a bounce back year or people will remember Denver Russ, not Seattle Russ. Exactly. And if he bounces back and he's back close to where he was in Seattle, then it, the question we've asked, dip or decline, then we can say, okay, a dip rather than a decline. Mm-hmm. And last year was so lousy, but also so humbling that I think Russell Wilson, and we've seen the pictures of him looking a little bit more svelte, supposedly. We have, yeah. Um, he certainly sounded very humbled when he was at the podium late in the season talking about how the season had gone, especially in the wake of Nathaniel Hackett being fired. I think Russell Wilson is very much in a I will leave no stone unturned mode mm. to get this right. And that starts with having a procedure that maybe he's like, okay, I didn't necessarily need, but could it potentially help? Absolutely. Let's go ahead and do this now. Instead of uh, instead of playing with the discomfort that he had played with for multiple years, as it turned out. And I'm not a doctor. You're a doctor of football. But when, when people say scope... You've, you've worked in this league long enough. Is that literally just arthroscopic, kind of moving some cartilage, loose tendons, whatever the term is, it, it feels like we always hear with these things, cleaning it up. Is yes. that kind of what happened? Is just, hey, there were some things in the knee that were a little out of whack, and we're just going to go in there almost like a vacuum cleaner and zap mm. it all up, and uh, that knee will be as good as new. Yeah, the, the arthroscopic process actually sometimes will kind of diagnose uh, well, because you'll send a scope in there. Maybe you'll find some damage that you weren't aware of, something that wasn't there. So it can, you know, 
it can be too clearly fix something. It can be kind of to explore, uh, but it can be to fix something as significant as a ligament, or it can be something like just retrieving some loose bodies, some loose cartilage out of the knee. And mm. the, the fact that he was on his feet so soon after certainly lends credence to the notion that it was something relatively minor, like just some loose bodies in the knee, and uh, that they don't really affect you. I mean, I, sometimes you can feel something loose. Like, I can feel loose, like a loose body in my knee when I walk sometimes. Maybe you need to go get a scope. Maybe I do. It, it, does, it, does it really affect me in terms of, you know, in terms of walking, in terms of exercising? I mean, I'm not, like, going out there and sprinting, but, I mean, I walked you know, two miles over here to the studio from my place in DTC tonight and, uh, you know, hop on the elliptical, whatever. It doesn't really affect me. But at some point, I'll be like, yeah, because I can feel it. And I can you can kind of sometimes even hear it a little bit. And it's like, okay. But you're also not trying to play quarterback yeah. in the NFL. Right. I'm not trying right. to diminish your two-mile no walk. St- but there's no stability issues. Like, right. I can I knock on would right but that but that that's the but that's the kind of thing if it's something minor like that that's the kind of thing that a scope can go in and clean up especially when you're talking about Wilson being on his feet so quickly after surgery like that that was the tell like when we learned that he was up and walking around the next day like okay it probably was just some loose bodies in there and he's good to go yeah it wasn't any sort of bed rest or crutches or any situation like that but on denversports.com you wrote about this uh when this news first dropped this morning Ian Rappaport of the NFL Network had it And the question you posed to intro your article on social media was, did a knee problem contribute to Russell Wilson's struggles? And while I think that would obviously be a cop-out to just say, oh, his his knee was the reason he sucked last year. Like, that's too oversimplification of things. I do wonder, Mace, for a guy who is supposed to be mobile for his game to be at its highest level – some of the lack of mobility, I think, was due to the weight. It was. We all thought Russ was a little heavy set in training camp, and he sort of had to play that off, uh, lose that, that European vacation weight. But at the same time, if he's not mobile, he's not himself. So while it may be an oversimplification, there's absolutely no doubt in my mind this knee issue did hamper his play because the best version of himself is a mobile Russell Wilson. Exactly. I don't know why I turned the mic off there. But um, the and the other thing is also, where did this rank in terms of the issues that caused Russell Wilson to struggle last year, right? That led to, you know. What would that list be? Okay. Coaching. Yep. Scheme fit, as in trying to have this Frankenstein's monster of an offense that had Hackett's concepts and the things Russell Wilson wanted. Yep. Um. New teammates. New teammates, new environment. Uh, age. Age. The, the, the stuff that was noted in the athletic, you know, you know, fit in locker room fit, et cetera. I would say that this knee issue is probably pretty well down the list. Mm. Maybe has a little bit of an impact on mobility specifically, but here's the thing. He looked reasonably mobile in those last two weeks when Justin Outen – was dialing up a game plan that looked very similar to those game plans that he executed in Seattle. Okay, so grand scheme of things, it's interesting, it's newsworthy, it's a little nugget on Russell Wilson we did not know, but... Gave us something to talk about today. Well, yeah, it it did, And, and frankly, when your star quarterback's getting a procedure, I think people want to know, but with all that said, there was other news surrounding the Broncos today, sort of, um, waterfall effect, I guess. 
that Elijah Moore has been traded from the Jets to the Browns. And the way we sort of framed this at denversports.com was, does this close the door on Jerry Judy to the Browns? Because that's been a, that's been a hot rumor mm-hmm. the last couple of days. We'd heard Patriots. Well, Juju went there. We heard Cowboys. Well, Brandon Cooks went there. Now we heard Browns. Do you think with Elijah Moore going from the Jets to the Browns for a second-round pick, they get a third in return, but for a Cleveland team that doesn't have first-round picks – that maybe Cleveland didn't have the value in the first place to get Judy, and now they 100% will not be able to meet Denver's asking price. And if Jerry Judy gets moved, he will not be a Cleveland Brown. Yeah. Basically, you have to take you, you take them out of the equation here because they don't have the draft capital to pull off a deal unless you're talking about next year's draft capital. Right. And... And I don't think the Broncos are interested in next year. No, no, They only no. have five they, this year. They want picks they this year. They want capital this year. They, yeah. they want draft picks now. And, and part of it is because when you're having your overall team-building philosophy, if it's going to work, you need to have players on their first contracts that are cost-controlled contributing. Okay. And the interesting notion of trading Jerry Judy is if you get rid of him— you get draft capital back, and you turn around and you use one of those draft picks on wide receiver, which I think is very possible, and we know that they've talked with wide receivers and tight ends at the combine, okay? They are looking at pass catchers. They're looking at everything. I mean, it's fair to say, but it's not. But we know that they have had conversations at the combine, which is, you know, you're, you can talk to 60 players at the combine. We know they've had formal conversations with some pass catchers who could be in that realm. So... Would not at all surprise me if they if they still trade Jerry Judy and turned around and used that draft pick on a receiver. Part of it would be, okay, Jerry Judy's going into year four. You have to make the decision on the fifth-year option by May. You draft a receiver. You're starting the clock over again, right. basically. That's you're what I argued yesterday. You're starting the clock-controlled p- clock. I did not like that idea. I know you don't. No, I know. Yeah, oh, you go don't. on. I'm not, I'm not interrupting you. I'm just saying that's, that's my side yes. of things here. Yeah. Whereas you're saying... Resetting the clock may not be the worst thing in the world. Well, okay. Like, let's say, for example, the Broncos. Let's assume their 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 price tag is a first round pick, a late first round pick. Okay. Me personally, I would ask myself. Okay, let's let's. I'll just throw a receiver out there. Zay Flowers um, from Boston College. Yep. Okay. Where is he a year from now? To or two years from now, is he as good as Jerry Judy in terms of in terms of production? No, I wouldn't think so. Well, he's a rookie. Yes, but at the same time, Jerry Judy's a guy who's averaged you know what nine hundred yards per seventeen games for his career. He has, okay. but he also didn't have Russell Wilson until year three, and Russell yeah. Wilson was terrible for the first two thirds of year three. Yeah. And another question on Jerry Judy is. Is the real Jerry Judy the guy who played well down the stretch of the last six games of 2022? Or is it the Jerry Judy that had some consistency issues leading up to that point? That's the thing. It, and, and the fact that the Broncos are, you know, they're not shopping him actively, but they're fielding calls and they have a price tag on him. I think that uh, that tells you that maybe they're, that they're not completely sold on him just yet. And maybe not completely sold on him on giving him a fifth-year option because here's the other thing to me, Will, is yep. if you're going to give him the fifth-year option, don't trade him, keep him, go all in. 
Mm -hmm. Play that out for the next two years and see where it goes with number 10. It's kind of the bad analogy I used last night, right? Yeah. Like couples with uh, marriage problems. Yeah. You can either have another kid or you can get divorced. Yeah. They're kind of extreme, but that feels like what the Broncos are going to do. They're either going to divorce Jerry Judy or sign him up for a fifth-year option. The one thing I don't want to see is if they bring him back, but they don't pick up the fifth-year option. Yeah, because then you're just in no man's land. Jerry's disgruntled, yeah. and he's looking for his next deal the second he can leave town, what, 355 days from now. And here's what could happen. Let's say he has a big year. Well, then great, you're franchise tagging him. And that would cost heck of a lot more than the fifth-year option would have. Yeah, the price tag just went up, what, seven, eight million bucks, something like that? Yeah. All right, so we'll we'll, yeah. we'll see how that all shakes out with Jerry. But you said something interesting that caught my attention. You said you don't think the Broncos are shopping him. You think they're fielding calls. Yeah. Okay. But and what? they have a price tag on him. And I, and I would argue this. I, I'm not sure the Broncos are 100% married to anybody right now except maybe the guys that they just signed. <sighs> Pastor Tan. Justin Simmons, hard not to be married to those two. Hard not to be married, but I would say there's a price tag on everybody. With with Sertan, I don't think it's a conversation for right now. I think Sertan's the conversation that ends up being had if the team struggles to start this year. If it comes out of the blocks 2-5 and five and Russell Wilson looks like 2022 Russ rather than Seattle Russ. Interesting. With the not fielding calls, or excuse me, with the not making calls, fielding calls thing, to me... And I, I don't have sources on this, but it's just my gut. I'm going to give you a little pushback on that. When there's smoke with Dallas, smoke with New England, smoke with Cleveland, I have a feeling that Sean Payton has told George Payton, pick up the phone and look for a deal. I think Denver is being more aggressive than they want us to think about trying to move Judy. I think that's a mistake. I've, I've, I've yelled about that for two days on this station. But I think the more I read about this situation and just a gut instinct – that Sean Payton has told George Payton to shop Jerry Judy and not the other way around. But they're not going to take any price, even if even if what you say is true and they are actively shopping. Mm-hmm. Like if all they get is a second round pick and that's it, I don't. Th- I think they would walk away. But I think that distinction is still important, don't you? Because it's either we are just fielding the calls to be nice guys and yeah, thanks, but no thanks, or. We don't believe in Jerry Judy, so we're the ones making the phone calls. If that gets back to Jerry Judy, that would affect my attitude tremendously. We know it affected Cortland Sutton's attitude. Yeah, we saw the dramatic we tweet. We saw the tweet, you know, uh, you know a couple weeks back. Right? Do you see where I'm coming from on that? that, that I do. Uh, that could be interesting for Jerry's psyche on all this. See, and I, and I think there's kind of a middle ground that okay, where the Broncos are and that maybe they're, they're not picking up the phone and saying, hey, you want Judy, hey, you want Judy, hey, you want Judy. But you make it. But you you make it known that if if the call comes in, we're not going to tell you. No, we're not trading that guy. Because, like for example, in the Russell Wilson trade last year, Broncos weren't trading Pat Sertan. He just was off the table, right? And that was a wise move because he turned into an All Pro. Yeah, he was great last year. Yeah. So some and, and that's like there are some guys. The name will come up. You're like, oh, what about what about this player? We ain't trading him. Get out of here, right? But the Broncos clearly aren't doing that with Jerry Judy, saying, get out of here, we're not trading him. Right. You're having the conversations. That, that, that makes sense. What is your your gut? I, I heard Stoke and Zach talking about it today, like, hey, it could happen on draft night. You know, we could, we could get the Adam Schefter breaking news during the middle of the first round that the Broncos have traded Jerry Judy, or that it could happen tomorrow. And, yeah, that's a pretty wide timeline, but I see where Stoke and Zach are coming from, that, that 
this situation is clearly fluid. Do you anticipate, Mace, that if he's on the roster after the draft, which is right when the fifth-year option decision has to come down, that he's here to stay? Or do you anticipate that between now and what day does the draft start? The 28th of April, something yeah. like that? Mm-hmm. April 28th or or the night of April 28th, as Stoke and Zach hinted at, that Jerry Judy will be moved. If you if you had to make a guess today, I would I would guess if anything happens, it happens during the draft. So we 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 have five six more weeks of this this rumor cycle with Jerry Judy. You think potentially unless Sean, unless Sean Payton shoots it down in Arizona on Monday when he sits there and gets a fusillade of questions from me and the other Muggles who are going to be at the Arizona Billmore asking him stuff. So that's an interesting one, too, is is how does Sean Payton, who does very little media, uh, we heard from him, his opening presser in the Combine so far, that's pretty much it. Uh, how, how does he handle this? Do you, do you think he'll he'll make, and you're just getting to know Sean Payton, as we all are, but do you think he'll make a, a strong, definitive statement one way or the other, or do you think Sean Payton is going to try to play a little bit of chess here and play it straight down the middle with how he dodges the Jerry Judy questions he will inevitably get. I think he'll play some chess, and I think he's going to praise Jerry Judy. Interesting. Try to drive that value up? Again, I mean, <laughs> he's pretty savvy at this. Like that, The one thing about Sean Payton, and we've just seen this in the in the limited availabilities that we've had, is that there's, there is a caginess to him that comes from all the experience that he has. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I think every single word is is pretty calculated from Sean. I think so too. It's he, kind, he it's kind of like Mike Shanahan actually. Yeah. He he, rem, he reminds me a little of Mike in how very little that he puts out there isn't done with some reasoning or intent. I think he knew exactly what he was doing when he answered Dmac's question after the opening presser. Yeah, I do too. And Dmac asked him about it. Of course, this being if if Russell Wilson's personal staff could be in the building. And what did Sean say? I'm not familiar with that. You know Sean Payton's familiar with that. But he bought himself a little bit of time, which a smart coach does, even if it's just a couple of seconds, makes D-Mac ask the question again, and then answers it with, and I'm probably paraphrasing, but something like we're not going to do that, Yep. which which went viral, obviously, with the Jay Keeps' ban from Broncos headquarters. Every single word that guy says, when a microphone's hot and a camera's on him, he knows what he's doing. So you actually transition into a really fascinating subject. Monday morning in Arizona will be really, really interesting when you and, what, five, six other Denver media members get to talk to Sean Payton. And some national ones, too, because what will happen for somebody like Sean Payton, as prominent as he is coming back to the Broncos, it'll be the AFC coaches on Monday, the NFC coaches on Tuesday. Okay. And, yeah, with the AFC coaches... He's going to be one of the stars of the show. Probably him, Andy Reid, coming off a championship. Yeah, he, he, I can't imagine yeah. that uh, the national guys were scrambling to get a Vic Fangio soundbite come year three. No. No, and but even, with Sean Payton, it'll be a little bit of a circus. There was some attention on Nathaniel Hackett last year because it was right after the Russell Wilson trade. Right. I rem- like It's funny because the way they do it, just to kind of uh, take you kind of inside uh, the these what they call the coach's breakfast. They have all the coaches in a room. Until last year, they had the each coach had a table, and the media would sit around the big like a, a big table, and then so like breakfast with Belichick, basically, yeah, yeah. Because you've seen that, you've seen that video that went viral a few years ago, where all the recorders are there, and Belichick just pushes him back. Why to like put his bacon and eggs down or yeah. something? Yeah, yeah. Well, 
then last year they did something different where each coach actually had kind of a, a little a riser that they were on, and then they got to the riser, and so you'd see all the cameras set up for each coach. And the Bronco Broncos and then Coach Nathaniel Hackett had like a three like three or four cameras, and then like Miami because that was local in that market they had like ten cameras and all that, and then you had like a, a fair amount of cameras at like New England, and then Houston and Houston Texas had like one camera on Lovey Smith. Ugh, yeah, and it was like from poor the team. Lovey. It was from the team, team media. That was it. That that was it. it. It'll be for Sean Payton. It's going to be pretty robust. And, and term, because you'll have the Denver media, but you'll also have like ESPN and NFL Network. They're going to be watching that and all that. And so, and, and this goes for nearly an hour. That that's the other thing about this press conference. It is the longest press conference a coach will do in any given year. Interesting. And like at the combine, he told the NFL PR guy, like, I'll say when the presser ends. Yes. So if he's in a chatty mood, he might go 80, 90 minutes with you guys. He actually went, yeah, because he went 23 minutes at the Combine. He was slotted for 15. He made George Payton sit there and showed up eight minutes early. Yeah. And then chewed up all that extra time. (laughs) And then some. And and actually, I think it was 24 minutes because I think it was George Payton actually took the podium a couple minutes late. So now you got me fascinated yeah. about these owners' meetings. I know yes. they were in Palm Bay Beach last year. They're outside of Phoenix or in Phoenix. I don't know. I get that area confused. There's Phoenix. It's in Phoenix. I know, but there's Phoenix. There's Scottsdale. There's Glendale. There's all these different things right next to each other. Uh, who else will you hear from? Will you get a chance to talk to Greg Penner this week? Well, that's the that's thing. Usually um, local media that goes down there, does talk to either Joe Ellis or Pat Bowen in the distant past. And so in, in a typical year, we would hear from the GM, we would hear from the coach, we would hear from the owner. So I have not get, gotten any indication that we won't hear from Greg Penner or George Payton at this. Uh, the inter- But what is usually the case is Denver media usually gets a few minutes with the head coach aside from being at the podium. And that's where it gets interesting because Sean Payton has basically kind of taken a stance of, okay, we're going to do what we have to do, and that's it. Although he didn't have to talk at the Combine, it was remarkable that he did because he had not talked at the Combine since 2009. Man, he probably knew, you know, first-year guy, I'm going yeah. to give these people some time. But on Penner, what I'm curious about, Mace, yeah. is what are the hot-button topics for Penner right now? Obviously, hey, you spent $230 million. You kind of shut everyone up who thought this yeah. was a toy or a Walmart special or whatever. But I think the bigger question, Mace, is you heard from Greg Penner when they fired Nathaniel Hackett. Inappropriate to ask about the stadium. You heard from Greg Penner when they hired Sean Payton. Inappropriate to ask about the stadium. I think now, Greg, you've owned this team for seven, eight months. You've been through a full season. You've been through an off season, And it may be a question for Damani Leach, too. But where do we stand on, is this $100 million at Empower the only thing you're planning now or potentially a new stadium? Because that is such a hot-button topic in Broncos country that he has not fielded questions on since last August. I think it's fair to the fans to expect an update now that we're in March. And again, he's had two other pressers where you just couldn't ask about it because it would have been way off, way off subject. And it's entirely possible that we don't have any more clarity now than we did, than we would have had a couple months ago. I'm with you, but I still think... It's appropriate. Do you think eight months is appropriate to ask for an update? I do. I think I think it's a question that has to be asked every time there's availability, and it's a fair question to ask 
in term and and until there's something concrete one way or the other. It's by far the most interesting question for ownership right now. Yeah. What are the long-term plans? Is this 100 million in empower the answer for the next two decades or are you going to build a new stadium for Broncos country? And it's possible that they haven't gotten to that yet because there has been other work on the organization that they are diving into in this offseason as they truly put their stamp on the Denver Broncos in running them. And, and frankly, the stadium may well be something that is a little bit on the back burner right now while they focus on a lot of internal things organization. All right, I'll be curious if Greg Penner gets that question. We shall see. But uh, in the meantime, you can experience the great American RV show that is coming to the Colorado Convention Center Thursday, March 30th through Saturday, April 1st. Just about a week out from this, there will be regional RV and camper dealers united to give you the best deals. So whether you're looking to buy or plan your next camping adventure, the great American RV show is the place to be, and we want to send you there. Go ahead and be caller four. Right now, 303-713-1043, and you will win a four-pack of tickets to get over to the Great American RV Show. Again, that's caller four, 303-713-1043, and these passes are good for all three days. All right, coming up on the other side, a player survey, more than 600 NHL players surveyed from best defenseman to who do you want on your team most in one game, Kel McCarr gets some love. Nathan McKinnon gets disrespected. It's Denver Sports Tonight on Denver Sports Station. 104.3 The Fan. Really interesting NHL player survey comes out today. It's the annual NHL uh, PA survey poll. 626 NHL players surveyed on 14 hockey-related questions during this regular season. Nathan McKinnon makes three appearances in the top five. Kale McCarr makes one. But Kale dominates the category he wins, whereas McKinnon does not win a single one in this vote. Mace, do you want to start with the good on McCarr or the, hmm, maybe a little disrespect on Nathan McKinnon? Uh, You know what? I'm actually diving into it a little bit because I am um, I'm trying to do, like do a, a year-to-year comparison. It's interesting because like the questions aren't exactly the same. Okay, like here's an example. Like this year, they asked in a must-win game, which forward do you think would be the most impactful? Right. Yep. And Nathan McKinnon gets eight point four percent. Only 8.4%. In Which my puts vote. him third behind Connor McDavid and Sidney Crosby. McDavid gets 59%. Dominates that one. I was hoping they would have asked the same question last year, but the question they asked last year was, if you need to win one game, who is the one skater you'd want on your team? Mm, so and defensemen that, were eligible. And basically what happened is McKinnon went had 3.4%, and he was at 84 this year. By the way, Connor McDavid was 424 last year in that different question and 59.3% this year. So based on your answer, we'll, we'll start with McKinnon, not McCarr. Yes. Let's. And, and this question, in a must-win game, which four do you think would be most impactful? Mm. I'm not doubting that Connor McDavid is phenomenal at hockey. I got a lot of that on social media today. I'm not even doubting that perhaps Connor McDavid is the best player on planet Earth. I am doubting, however, that when you phrase the question that way, 
60% of these NHL players, so close to 350 of them or 380, whatever the math is, mm-hmm. want Connor McDavid and only 8% take Nathan McKinnon. Mace, last time I checked, McKinnon's Avs swept McDavid's Oilers out of the playoffs last year in a four-game Western Conference final that was never competitive, and Nathan McKinnon was a man on a mission who very well could have won the Smythe. Kale was a very deserving candidate, but McKinnon was right there with him. I don't understand how the gap can be this large that the players can just ignore what happened in a series last year and say, yep, 60% of us want McDavid and a measly 8% want Nathan McKinnon. Although at the same time, I mean, I also think of that series and I think that when you got to Edmonton's second and third lines, it was a disaster and that they were a comic tragedy in net. So we're using the Connor McDavid doesn't have good teammates excuse now. Yes. Well, it's not an excuse. It's the reality. I mean, I mean, Connor McDavid, it's a little like Michael Jordan in, the early, in his early days with the Bulls. It's like, uh, I'm sorry, you know, Juwan Oldham is just not it's not a good player. It's <laughs> a blast from the past. Yeah, yeah. but that's kind of my point. When I, Whenever I watch McDavid, I think, okay, like he is the load-bearing post that's holding this whole tent up. Yeah, but we just had the example of who I wanted in one game because I watched game one. I watched game two. I watched game three. I watched game four. And each time McKinnon emerged victorious over McDavid, and it's not like in that series McDavid significantly outplayed McKinnon or anything like that. It was pretty even. But how much ice time? I mean, even the best player in hockey gets what? 25 to 30 minutes of ice time in a playoff game? Yeah, about half the time. Right. Okay, so the impact is going to be neutralized of one player is going to be neutralized a bit by that. And that's where you've got to have the supporting cast and the, you know, the brilliance of the abs was in how deep they were last year. All right. You're making sense. I just thought after McKinnon hoisted the cup, this, this gap would have been sim- pu- significantly closer. I get it, but I'm trying to put myself into, you know, into the minds of what guys around the NHL are thinking. Now, speaking of McKinnon, this question is the exact same from year to year. Okay. Who is the best stick handler? Mm. And he comes in at third this year behind Patrick Kane, 46.1%, Connor McDavid, 28.7%. Kane's percentage went down 11.2 percentage points from last year to this year. McDavid's went up 5.9 percentage points. Nathan McKinnon dropped from 5.5 last 5.4 last year to 3.8 this year. So McKinnon lost some votes, and he may well have lost a vote or two to Connor McDavid. Another one I'm going to call Balderdash on. Okay. To quote my inner James Merrillette, because to see the magician Nathan McKinnon is with the puck, with his stick, when the question is best stick handler and some of the moves he made. Think about the goal he scored against St. Louis in Game 5 last year that we thought was going to be the one to send them to the next round before they fell apart. When he went coast-to-coast, danced through four Blues defender, made the roof pop off ball arena, the announcers lose their mind, one of the best hockey goals I've ever seen in my life was all stick handling, Mm -hmm. and yet Nathan McKinnon third place in this poll, a lousy 3.8%, and he drops, as your research shows from year over year, balderdash. But here's the flip side of this. The question, who is the most complete player? Nathan McKinnon was not in the top five this year. He's in the top last year. He's in the top five this year. Congrats. I think he should be number one. 
he's still behind Crosby, Bergeron, Barkov, and McDavid. That's where this is flawed. The most complete player in the NHL? Alexander Barkov is ahead of Nathan McKinnon? What's he ever won? Well, you can be a a transcendent player on a shaky team. Uh, they did win the President's Trophy last year, but they they oh, this year, but this year they're oh you know, they're yeah they're, they're fighting they're, for their lives yeah. for a wild card. <laughs> but you can't tell me Nathan McKinnon because to me, May's complete player is who's the best player in the NHL, and he got fifth place with four point seven percent of the vote. Well, I mean, the players will tell you it's Sidney Crosby. That's a that's a long back to time back to back winner of most complete player. Yeah, that's in a, this poll. That's a tip of the cap respect. Vote. That'd be like if Derek- I would take Nathan McKinnon if I were building my roster today. Absolutely. That's like a Derek Cheater lifetime achievement type vote for Sid the Kid there. That's not. By the way, Barkov's accurate Barkov's for today's number NHL. two in, in most complete player uh, last year. Number three this year. Patrice Bergeron passed him up. All right. So McKinnon yeah. gets a third, a third, and a fifth. Doesn't win a single category. The good news, Mace, and I did promise we'd get to it, is Kale McCarr. Top defenseman in the game, very straightforward question asked in this NHL player survey. Kale McCarr, a dominant 63.9% of the vote. Victor Hedman from the Lightning comes in second with just 11%. Roman Yossi from the Predators, third, 6%. Now that is how you vote NHL players. Kale McCarr is the best defenseman in the world, and it is not particularly close. Makes sense. Actually, that was not something that was asked last year. Okay. So we don't kind of have the... Uh, we don't have the apples-to-apples apples comparison, but um, that's absolute, absolutely no question. I think, uh, I mean, they, you went Hedman number two, Roman Yossi number three. I think the top three they got exactly as they should get. And that mirrors sort of the Norris Trophy voting. Almost, I think Yossi yeah. got second a year ago, but Hed, Hedman's got, you know, he's got a Conn Smythe trophy. So does Kale. Exactly. Yeah. Which is, you know, so there you go. Makes sense that... Kale having won it more recently makes sense. He's won, and Hedman, who's still a terrific player, is number two. But it feels like McCarr got the Stanley Cup boost. Yes, that McKinnon did not get. Why is that? Hmm. Is, is that McCarr just better liked around the league? Also, because some of this is popularity contest. Well, it is. If we just talked about the Conn Smythe Trophy, right? Right. Okay. So there. If McKinnon is that great. Why was he not the playoff MVP? It, because it was somebody else. But it, I would, but it I would say it's. Be, I would say it was because Makar was so transcendent that you, like, you watch him, and if you close your eyes and you start, you know, going back through the sepia film in your mind, you legitimately, you legitimately get Bobby War flashbacks watching him and watching watching him go to end to end, watching his control with the puck. But but it's not like Makar. McCarr's earned Conn Smythe. I'm not trying to take that away yeah. from him. But in my eyes, it's not like he ran away with it. You could have made a pretty compelling case that Nathan McKinnon should have won Conn Smythe last year. You could. It was, it was close between the two of them. All right, interesting survey. You can read about it at denversports.com. As you can tell, I'm fired up that I think Nathan McKinnon is not getting I'm the I'm diving love. into like some of the off-ice stuff, too, on this. Oh, like, it's all there. I mean, they, 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 on the ice, they ask like which NHL arena has the best ice. Tell me if you can guess the best ice in the NHL. Uh, it's got to be someone in Canada. Give yes. me the Maple Leafs. Tor- or, so Montreal. Montreal. Follow- Montreal followed by uh, Edmonton, Winnipeg, uh, XL Energy up in St. Paul. And Las Vegas. 
top five ice surface, what? according to this poll. Ice in the deserts, top five? Second straight year, they've been top five, too. They did something right building that arena out well, there. Well, it's dry. It's it's dry, but you think that, okay, it's dry here, too. It is. Humidity can be a real killer for ice, as everyone in Tampa is reminded on an annual basis. All right, coming up next, 10 years ago today, a truly iconic Colorado sporting event take place. Took place, excuse me. Andrew Mason will give you the details. <laughs> The Fan presents Denver Sports Tonight. 303-713-1043 is Ramoslaw.com text line. Appreciate the uh, texts that are rolling in. Some kind, not some not so kind. That's how we like it. Andrew Bass. You get good ones and bad ones, man. You do. You do sometimes. That's what happens when you, uh, you read the text line. You I never know. know what you're going to find. And look, there have been times when I've looked at the text line and I've questioned humanity and I've questioned my own place in the world. But then there are some times when you see something that warms your heart. <sighs> see, and, that, and that's why you keep coming back. Exactly. And listener, I'm sure you know who you are. There Thank have been you. some nice ones tonight. We appreciate it. That's for sure. All right, Mace, a little bit off the beaten path, but because you are a historian of Denver sports... I think your specialties to me are football and baseball. But you know them all, and one of those that you're really passionate about is soccer. And you wrote a really interesting piece today at denversports.com with the headline, 10 years ago, a truly iconic Colorado sporting event took place, Snow Classico. Mm -hmm. Fill us in, for those who may not know, what the Snow Classico was what made it so special? Obviously, the snow. Uh, and where you were on March 22nd, 2013. Well, it's funny. I had a ticket, but I sold it. Okay. Because of the weather? Anticipating it a little bit, yes. And I Do you regret that decision? A little bit, yeah. All right. So d- d- tell us what made this so special. Because yeah. now that I've seen some of the pictures and read your article, I do remember it. It was kind of crazy. It was crazy. It was... Uh, it, it, it had been a, a, a kind of a, a nasty day, not but not snowy. It was windy. It was temperature was dropping. A front moved through, and about in a couple hours before kickoff, and this is a World Cup qualifier, so it's a game. One of the games that the U.S. men's national team had to play en route to qualifying for the 2014 World Cup, and so they play against other nations from North America, Central America, and the Caribbean. It's a group called Concacaf. Okay. Um, and w- that night they were playing Costa Rica, and Costa Rica is usually a pretty good team. They go to the World Cup finals more often than not, and it was generally it was ex- it was a game between two teams that basically expected to go to Brazil the next year in the World Cup. So it was a big game, and the snow just started dumping, and it kept dumping, about six inches of snow fell on the field at Dick's Sporting Goods Park, or the pitch, if we're going to use soccer terms. And of course, you have Costa Rica. Their players, they're not used to that at all. They're used to heat, humidity. Some of them play in Europe, so they know about cold weather. But playing in snow is still pretty rare. Yeah, It happens. Soccer will generally play in anything but lightning or a frozen 
pitch or waterlogged pitch. But snow they usually go through to a certain point. And the snow was falling so fast, like I said, about six inches during the match. It, the, the ball wasn't moving. And the Costa Ricans were very, were furious about it, especially in light of the fact that earlier that day in Europe, a match between Russia and Northern Ireland, also a World Cup qualifier, had been postponed. Because of weather. Because of snow. Because of heavy snow. Whoa. So their thought was, why didn't FIFA get their rules straight? Well, here's the thing. FIFA sees, oversees the entire world, but when it comes to the qualifying, they leave that in the hands of each region of the world. Ah. So it was a CONCACAF call, and over in Europe, a UEFA, that's who runs soccer in Europe, a UEFA call. UEFA said we're playing, or we're not playing. CONCACAF said we're playing, although at one point, the referee, 10 minutes into the second half, calls together the team captains and they talk about it. Jurgen Klinsmann, the, ma- the the manager of the U.S., is screaming at the official trying to lobby to keep playing because the U.S. is up. And the thing is, the U.S. players, they're like, you know, some of those guys grew up in cold weather. They're like, oh, we can do this. Let, let's, let's keep playing. It's right. an advantage for us. And the Costa Ricans filed a protest after the match. Those protests that filed usually go, get filed go nowhere. So... What you had was basically you had this ultimate snow globe game, a high-stakes game because we're talking about qualifying for the World Cup being on the line. And right here in Colorado, probably the probably the most memorable night in the history of soccer in this state. And who won? The U.S. won 1-0. Clint Dempsey got a goal in the 16th minute, and that was it. All right. Well, it's a really interesting walk down memory lane um, because, listen, I'm not a soccer guy. I know most of our listeners – uh, are probably not huge soccer fans, but for yeah, we're so- seeing the text. <laughs> yeah, people are mad, but but, but for <laughs> for something like this, I think you appreciate the moment of hey, a sporting event that's a really big deal to a lot of people went down in our backyard, and Colorado did Colorado things that night. So for everyone who's mad about it. It's the most popular sport in the world, okay? There's not a debate about that at all, and it happened here, uh, I would say in Denver, but more particularly Commerce City, and I just think that it's kind of cool, those walks down memory lane mm-hmm. 10 years later uh, as we look out on a nice, gorgeous, uh, fairly sunny, it's getting dark now night in Colorado, that that kind of stuff can happen, and you know what? We were on the national radar that evening. Well, Maybe part, the international radar. Part of the uh, magic of Colorado in March is that the weather is such a roll of the dice because you can get a nice day like this, a little cool, but nothing wrong with it. It could be 75 degrees today. Are you coming for Kathy Saban's job? Nah. No. She's pretty good at what she does. She knows what she's doing. <laughs> you're, just, you're just throwing out some some uh, meteor- meteorology analysis? I guess. I mean, but we all know it. We, we, we know the weather. We experience it. We know what it's like around here. You know, we had... Was a couple of springs ago. I'm digging out from. I'm down in Castle Pines, digging out from 36 inches in front of my garage. Thank goodness my neighbor had a snowblower. Oh yeah, you can't do that with just a shovel. I mean, I I, I shoveled the sidewalk, but boy, I, without that without that help, I would have been lost. But you can get it. So you can get a day like that. You can get a night like the Snow Classico, or you can have a. You look out and we see the sun setting off in the distance. We see the, the puffy clouds. That's Colorado. You just never know what's coming. It's why it's fun to be here. All right, KJ. 
I got to give you a shot to say this on air because you're confident. You said it in my ear twice. What's the word Mason and I are looking for? Meteorological. Meteorological. Mace, you giving it to him? I'm skeptical. Meteorological. Meteorology. Meteorological. Meteorology. Meteorological. M e t e o r o l. I g o c a l. Yes, exactly. All right, KJ, we'll give it to you. People love soccer, man. Not really, but appreciate all the kind words. We'll close on that for KJ, for Mace, I'm Will. Denver Sports Station, 104.3 The Fan. Cause it's all the same